0: Welcome to the Mojo Maker for Women in Tech podcast, where you will learn career strategies and techniques to help you break down barriers, make more money, and thrive in your tech life at work and at home. Technology has never been more mission critical to our online stay-at-home world, and you are the key to its success. You'll hear from diverse women in tech as well as experts who share both personal and professional strategies so you can transform your work and your workplace from the inside out. I'm Karen Morstel, former Silicon Valley tech leader and serial CISO for iconic brands like AT&T Wireless, Microsoft, and Russell Investments. I hope you will join me in my mission and message of resilience and transformation to make an inclusive and equitable tech industry. If you find this show helpful, please leave us a like and share it. And don't forget to hurry over to createyourleadingedge.com to join innovative and affordable group coaching for women in tech on your terms. And now, on to Mojo Maker for Women in Tech. My dear friend and colleague, Caroline Wong, joins me for a very personal and candid conversation today about the incredible influence her father had in her decision to study engineering, as well as on the challenges as a woman in the tech sector. She shares brilliant leadership insights, as well as her victory in shifting from the unhealthy coping mechanisms that many of us have relied on in times of great stress to an intentional philosophy focused on meeting uncertainty and difficult spots in life's journey as something we can certainly figure out when we get there. Caroline Wong is the Chief Strategy Officer at Cobalt I.O. Her close and practical information security knowledge stems from broad experience as a digital consultant, a semantic product manager, and day-to-day leadership roles at both eBay and Zynga. She teaches cybersecurity courses on LinkedIn Learning and is a member of the Forbes Technology Council. Caroline was named... 2019 Cyber Educator of the Year in the sixth annual Cyberjutsu Awards. She authored the popular textbook Security Metrics, a beginner's guide published by McGraw-Hill. Wong graduated from UC Berkeley with a BS in electrical engineering and computer sciences and holds a certificate in finance and accounting from Stanford University Graduate School of Business. She shares generously of her time and talent, giving presentations at conferences for the benefit of everyone in the cyber industry. And Caroline, I just have to say, I'm in awe of you.
1: I am grateful to have you here. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Karen. It is always a pleasure to speak with you, and I'm delighted uh, to, be, to be here with Mojo Maker today. Thanks.
0: Thank you so much. Hey, listen, I want to get started. We'll Just jump right in. A question I like to ask everyone is tell us a little bit about your path that led you to where you are right now.
1: Sure, so Thank you so much for asking. It is a privilege to share my story. I like to start at the very beginning. <laughs> when I say that, I really mean at the very beginning. My father is a Chinese guy who was born in the Fiji Islands. My mother was born in Hong Kong, and my sister and I were born in San Francisco. And the reason I like to start my story out that way is because that's really how it is. That's really who I am. I am the daughter, I'm the American daughter of Chinese immigrants. And that has had such an incredible impact on everything about my life, notably my career. So as a 16-year-old, 17-year-old teenager... My father said to me, hey, so what do you want to study when you're in college? And I said, you know, I would love to study dance or psychology. And he said, you're going to study engineering and you're going to do it at the best school that you can get into. And, you know, the dynamic in our family was such that that was sort of that, you know, for me growing up with my parents who, you know, I know that my father, who like any of us, was not a perfect person. He had such great intentions. He really wanted for his daughters to be educated because what that meant for him was that we would have freedom and that we would have choice in our lives. And so off I went to study electrical engineering and computer science at UC Berkeley. Not really my choice. And it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. I really had a lot of trouble relating to my classmates. It was a very challenging curriculum. And then when I was kind of, you know, graduated from college, I found myself working in Silicon Valley. I having grown up in San Francisco, having attended school in the East Bay of the San Francisco Bay Area, it was somewhat natural that I would end up in Silicon Valley, which is where I worked for the first part of my career. And I started on the information security team at eBay and it was pretty random. <laughs> you know, I'm laughing to myself thinking about, you know, which fun details to include or not to include. And I'll say that I had done an internship the summer between my junior and my senior year, and when I graduated from college, I said to my internship manager, hey, you know, I'd love to work for your team full-time, and he said, actually, there's a hiring freeze in IT, but there's an entry-level position in information security, and I think you should consider applying. And at the time, I had to go online and look up the words information security on Wikipedia in order to prepare for that job interview. Later, I found out that, you know, they were seeking a new college grad. And so the expectation for previous experience and knowledge in the field was pretty low bar. And that's just been, that's history. You know, I found myself learning a lot and experiencing so many different things, you know, how to be in the working world, which is so different from being in school, and which I actually prefer. And it's taken me years to really understand a lot of the context for my role. You know, at the time I thought, okay, I'm in information security. My job is audit and compliance. I have these policies. I have these standards. I have these, you know, these different paperworks and processes and stuff. And now I can see that was part of a whole bigger picture. It was 2005. And in 2004, the first version of PCI DSS had been released. This was also a time when SOX information security controls was really important. And so now I can see how my little role played into the company and what eBay was trying to achieve at the time. So since that time, I've held a variety of different information security roles, both as a practitioner, as well as in product and consulting. And I'm currently working for my first startup.
0: Wow. Wow. So you know that I want to touch base on something you and I have in common. We have many things in common, being an InfoSec, obviously, but you mentioned something when you said your father said, you are going to study engineering and you're going <laughs> <laughs> to you get into. And you're laughing because I think you know where I'm going with this. Like my father also had This very clear idea that his daughters were going to be in science, despite the fact that I'm a 98% right brain person who (laughs) loves art and music. And his direction to me was that I was going to study chemistry and, you know, biology and all of this stuff at school. And I remember coming back to him after my first year and going, Dad, listen, like, this is hard stuff for me, really, really hard. And if I could just do humanities, I would be Phi Beta Kappa. I would be straight A's. You would be proud of me. It would be amazing, right? And he looked at me and he goes, but who would pay for school? (laughs) Right? (laughs) So there's that very strong influence I think we had from fathers who not only believed heavily in the value of a technical education, right? But also that their daughters could do anything
1: that there yeah. wasn't
0: a reason why you, why you could not yes. go out and get your degree from the best school in engineering. That's incredibly valuable. I suspect, and I think, well, I know the answer, and that is that you've carried that voice with you to some degree uh, throughout your lifetime, as I did. And I guess that's kind of your silent mentor coach, maybe subconscious mentor coach going on in there. Do you want to talk about that a little bit?
1: I would love to. Thank you for inviting me to do so. I want to share with you a moment in my life when I was in college and I was really struggling with the coursework. My father, who was living in San Francisco, had driven across the Bay Bridge to pick me up at my dorm room and bring me home, you know, for a weekend. And I cried and I said, I... I'm really struggling with this. This is very hard for me. And my father simply said to me, you need to suck it up and just do it and just power through. And that was difficult for me to hear. And that was not fun for me to hear. And it was very unpleasant for me to be trying so hard to be doing something that was really hard. And at the same time, I have actually carried his confidence in me, which says, you know you can just sort of suck it up and do it. And there is a harshness to that that feels terribly unfair, I think. For me it did when I was a 19-year-old and now I can see that that you know there's so many different sides to everything. And so what I've taken from that is I have an inner voice that says you can do anything that you choose to, even if it's super duper hard. And that is an incredible strength. Now, that is not all sunshine and rainbows. That voice also has a tone that says, if you are not achieving, then what are you doing? (laughs) You know, if you are not busy every moment of every day doing something that is productive in some way, then you're wasting your time, you know, and that's a piece that I've had to really kind of Peel back and explore and then decide for myself because I feel like I can and I have, as a child of parents with very strong beliefs and very rigid requirements, I've ridden that wave to some extent, you know, and now. You know, as a 36-year-old woman, I get to choose my own path forward and I get to choose what to keep and what to leave. And that is something that, you know, 10 years ago, I was not even aware of. I was not even conscious of these different thought systems in my mind.
0: The more we share, the more we are, the more we have in common. (laughs) I think I took that father's admonishment about like, I came home one time with like, I had to take seven courses. I came home with six A's and one B. And he looked at me and said, what happened? And I remember how angry and hurt I felt Mm -hmm. for not being recognized for what I had done, but that did two things. And I think you said something here about your dad's perspective. If you're not achieving, then what are you doing? And I've always taken that And I've seen myself do that with other people, the people in my organization, is that I set a really high bar because that really high bar, maybe higher than they think they want to do or can do, is a compliment. Yeah. So I just want to dive into that for a minute about this thing we have in common because our fathers were kind of tough on us and I think they had a view, a worldview that made that very important for them to make sure that their daughters had no barriers and felt no barriers. And it might've seemed really harsh at the time. I know there, you mentioned lots of tears. I had, I cried every weekend in my first year of college (laughs) and just feeling like so overwhelmed that I couldn't do it. But knowing that I had to, it was sort of like all the boats had been burned. Right. Yep. So, and when they set that really high bar for us The subliminal message wasn't one of, I'm punishing you. It was, I love you. I need to make sure that you're going to be okay, that you can do anything, that you find out that you can do anything, and I'm going to hold this bar for you. And it became really a compliment, like the highest compliment.
1: Yes. Yes. I can see that now. (laughs) Now. I
0: get it. I get it.
1: (laughs) There is a person that you told me about. I did not know the name Brene Brown until you told me about her. She has a concept called FFT. And it is all about the difficulty of doing something for the first time. My experience in college, studying engineering for the first time, your experience in college, you know, Throughout my life, I can see now that first times are going to continue to occur and they are always hard. And I know that because I did this one super hard thing, I know that I can do the next super hard thing. And when I did that super hard thing, it was in a safe environment with support. It didn't feel that way. You know, emotionally, it felt like everything. Was exploding, but I can see now that it was a really safe place for me to have that experience, and I was able to go through that difficulty and emerge from it, you know, different. I won't say better because it is more complex than that. I come away with it with the confidence and the accomplishment, and I also have spent years now trying to work on balance and trying to work on preventing burnout and trying to balance, uh, play with work. And that's actually something that like, it's weird maybe that I have to work on it.
0: Not at all weird to me. (laughs) Listen, you know, you said your dad's message to you was if you're not achieving, then what are you doing? And play. And Brene Brown talks about this too like, oh, yeah, you go ahead and do your arts and crafts. I'm going to get some real work done. <laughs> and that whole idea of taking time off, like taking a break, relaxing. In fact, my dad actually at the dinner table used to turn to me. I was trapped in the corner at dinner. I couldn't get out. Like my dad blocked the only <laughs> exit. <laughs> and I would be taught at dinner, like whatever it was that he felt like I needed to learn about. This whole idea of teaching us that my daughters so I have a younger sister who actually went to MIT and Caltech for her engineering degree, and she has a similar experience that you and I have. But he would sit at the dinner table and say, my daughters will never be consumers. My daughters will be producers. And that messes with your head when you're thinking about kicking back, you know, and taking a day off. Right?
1: Yes. Yes, it does. And I'll tell you something else that's very meaningful to me. I have a gorgeous tattoo on my back and the picture is of a bow and arrow and there is a rose in the place of the arrow. And I got that in honor of my late father. My father battled pancreatic cancer in 2015 and I remember in 2005, 10 years before he got sick, he retired from his 35-year job as City attorney for the city and county of San Francisco. And my father loved his work. And I said to him, What are you going to do in retirement? Because, you know, we were this family with this really important work ethic and all this stuff. And I was like, Dad, what are you going to do? You know, I had never been taught, What do you do with free time? How do you enjoy these things? And he said, Oh, you know, I really want to learn how to do archery. I've always wanted to learn how to do archery. And I thought, fantastic, dad's going to retire. He's going to learn how to do archery. He's going to learn how to chill out. You know, it's going to be great. Guess what? He did not do archery. He retired. He got bored. He went back to work, into consulting, worked harder than ever. And then he fought a terrible disease and then he died. And so for me, I got this tattoo as a huge reminder to myself that, you know, life is short and there are things that, I think we know in our hearts that we want to do and we have to do them while we can. And, you know, that has become for me a different part of my father's legacy and what he's left with me. And so I do think about things differently and not just about what's productive. I also think about what will bring me joy. And I hope that I can do that for myself. I hope that I can do that for my children even if, and perhaps because my father was not always able to do that for himself.
0: Yeah. My uh, father worked until he died as well. And my grandfather as well. He uh, had a couch. My grandfather was, I think in 81, when he had a couch installed in his office so he could take a nap. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, so here you and I have had this, you know, incredibly valuable modeling and I would say where we lacked maybe in our early life, the drive for ourselves, we had some external motivation. And I would say this would be a person like uber sponsor, like mega sponsor, mega mentor for us. We had that as our father who really pushed us to limits that we, to to go past limits that we would have set for ourselves, which is fantastic. And now as we move into a different phase of life, have the chance to moderate that in a really healthy way, which I think is incredible, which also makes you an incredible model and mentor for other women who are in our industry. So I want to pivot for just a second, kind of shift to that. One of the things I hear all the time I want to ask you about is younger women in our industry who are really affected by the fact that they don't see somebody like them at the top, or they don't, you know, they're still experiencing what we went through, which is the only and lonely, you know, the only woman in many cases for years and years. This is seems like it's become a bit of a barrier. And I'm wondering, you know, you overcame this in a way I did as well, I would love to hear how you dealt with, you're the only one like you, you don't see anybody else women let alone chinese american women leading an organization yet you are now at the top of your organization in multiple ways how did
1: you do that what helped you overcome that thank you i really want to share a story that i don't share publicly often but that you know time has passed and i've processed it and i feel that there's value to sharing this particular anecdote I once worked on a team, and I had a boss that was not great, and I had some peers who were not great. And I did not look like my boss or my peers. And my peers, two in particular, went so far as to sort of collude before we would have a team meeting. They planned to set me up to make me look stupid. And then they executed their plan. And then afterwards they told me about it. And this was not, this was super not fun. It was super not fun. And I just sort of, I don't know. I just sort of dealt with it. And eventually I left. Now, I think that unfortunately, that happens to so many people in so many different ways. And it's not always as planned and intentional as my particular that particular scenario was for me. But it does have an impact on the people that are part of this team and on the culture and on, I believe, the success of the organization. So one of the things that I've observed is that I do get treated differently because I look differently, because I have different body parts. And what I've observed is that sometimes people look at someone who looks different, and if that person makes a mistake, then that's amplified. On the other hand, if that person does something That's really valuable. I think that can also be amplified. So, at some point in my career, I recognized the amplification of looking different, of being different. And I took that very seriously. And that really makes me consider how I'm perceived. There's a technique that I've also picked up along the way that I want to share, which is there have been many times when I walk into a room and I think to myself, gosh, I feel so intimidated. These other people, they seem so smart. They seem so experienced. They must really know what they're talking about. And what do I have to offer in comparison? And what I do and what now I've been doing for years is I'll show up a little early and I'll start talking to the other people who are also there early. And what I discover in these one-on-one conversations is often that In fact, I do have something to contribute. In fact, I do have something of value to share. But that there's this way in which when I kind of take it apart and I have these short three-minute conversations with folks about, you know, what are you here for today? And why did you choose to come to this session? And what are you hoping to get out of it? That in those one-on-one conversations, it can really help me build the confidence to then get up on the stage and say what I plan to say or to really engage in a roundtable discussion in a way that I intended, you know, and being able to kind of acknowledge but also walk through the intimidation which I feel frequently.
0: That is such a valuable tip. I hope everybody is taking note of that. I do the same thing. I get to the room early and talk to the people in the room, whether it's a meeting or a presentation. It helps me build rapport. Yes. Right. Yes. And not only me build it with, I mean, it goes two ways. So it's a very valuable thing to do. And uh, I love that you shared that as a way to kind of, I guess you're level setting yourself, but also you're doing a great service for the people that are in the room and building that connection with them. That's outstanding. And the other thing I think I hear, I just want to bring it out because I don't think you came right out and said it. But you don't see someone like you at the top. So you became that person at the top. Like it didn't hold you back. There's a saying, you know, you can't be what you can't see. And I completely disagree with that. You can be what you can't see. In fact, be it, become it. And you lead organizations, a technology organization, as well as a human resources organization in your company. So. That seems to me that's what you've done.
1: Thank you so much, Karen. I agree. I don't think that you can't be what you can't see. And I think that that applies to leadership in technology. I think that applies to like everything. And what I mean by that is simply that none of us know what's going to happen in the future. And probably what's going to happen in the future is something that we've never dealt with before. And so we're going to have to make it up. We're going to have to figure it out. And so that to me has been the approach, you know, I sort of wake up and this has always been, this is a part of my personality and the way that I approach my life and my work. And it's in very stark contrast to my sister, who is a medical professional. She's a pediatrician. And in order to become a medical doctor, of course, there's a quite structured and rigorous and formal process that you go through to become an information security executive. You know, not so much. It's a very different meandering type of path. And what I want to say, is also that to follow up on the bullying story that I shared, there is an advantage right now to being someone who has information security skills or is developing information security skills because the world has a talent shortage. And that puts many of us in an opportunity, in a place where you can actually choose. You can actually choose to leave. There are so many folks in the world in so many different situations where they don't have that choice. But fortunately, for information security professionals, we sometimes do. Sometimes you do have another job that you could try to get. And so there is an element of choice in terms of, I found myself in a bad situation. You know, am I going to stick around? Am I going to try and fix it? You know, sometimes that works. Maybe, maybe it doesn't, you know, but I can leave. That is a choice that we have more than others because of the nature of the skills shortage in our industry.
0: I'm going to ask you a pretty personal question about that, because yet again, this is another thing that we share. (laughs) How did you handle the idea that even though you were bullied and you had absolutely every reason to leave, you left? Did that feel like failure to you? Oh, what a great question.
1: I took some steps before I left and I have provided this advice to friends and colleagues who have come to me and said to me, I'm on a toxic team. I have a toxic manager. The leadership at this organization is toxic. And I've said, well, you know, if you can, you should leave. And we, you can't always, right? So what do you do otherwise? And there is a period of time when before I left, what I was doing was I was trying to really compartmentalize. I was trying to show up for work in an adequate fashion. And I was also trying to focus on other areas of my life and really invest in and cultivate other non-work areas of my life. So for me, by the time I left, my heart had been out of it for some time, but it was not kind of an on and off switch. It it did take time.
0: Yeah, I I know the one time that I left a job that I really loved, but I knew that I couldn't make it work for a variety of reasons felt like such an enormous failure to me that I actually went to go visit my therapist, <laughs> Louise, who I said, oh my God, I, this has got to be the biggest failure ever. And she looked at me and she goes, "Wow, oh, you're still standing. That's remarkable. <laughs> like it didn't kill you. And I think that we struggle with that, right? Because it's like we have this going back to the thing we talked about at the very beginning, Very super strong achievement ethic, work ethic, and to walk away from something can really be also difficult for us. So, finding the permission, giving ourselves the permission to choose the walk away, which is a perfectly legitimate solution to an intractable problem. I just wanted to kind of explore that with you a little bit. So, thanks for
1: sharing. You're welcome. And, Karen, there's another component which I'll mention. And this is another thing, you know. I feel really safe talking to you. And I've processed some of these things. I think it's also fair for me to simply say that I had a really big alcohol problem also, such that for me to be in a position at work where I felt like I couldn't be successful and where I knew because I was told directly by them that people were trying to sabotage me That was super difficult. And one of the ways that I handled that was to make the feeling go away by drinking cocktails. And that for me, like, you know, in the moment, it felt like it was helping. And right now, I'm talking to you as a person who's been sober for six years. So for me, and perhaps for many people, when there's a struggle, one choice that we sometimes take is to avoid or to escape in different ways. And for me, I've certainly used that as a coping mechanism. And for me, I know that it doesn't work. And I also want to say that for me, it's been a multi-year journey, trying to figure out what that looks like for me, it was not straightforward for me for a very long time.
0: That is a powerful thing that you just shared. And thank you for that. The statistics show us that, by the way, I was right there with you. Although I would say, yeah, I mean, a couple of martinis every night after work to kind of wind down from the stress was typical, right? And not a healthy alternative because when we, you know, as Brene Brown will tell us, when you numb the pain, you numb everything, you can't be open to joy. You can't be open to celebration. You can't really be open when we're using whatever technique it might be, whether it's alcohol or whether it's internet surfing and endless Facebook or whatever we use to kind of tune out and numb out a little bit. You know, we have 57% of the tech industry identifies right along with you on that and me. Right. So It's so important to recognize that walking away from the situation is a healthy, viable alternative. And I think we don't give ourselves that permission and we try to stay by using coping mechanisms. And I think that's really what we're seeing in the industry right now. Super, super important to address and I appreciate you sharing that. I'd like to take one more pivot here because we're kind of coming close to the end of our time. I would love to talk to you forever. <laughs> um, yeah, please. <laughs> you know, we talked about this briefly about needing to acknowledge what's going on around us right now. We're recording this at the beginning of June. So things, man, 2020 has been quite a year. So I think it might be good to sort of acknowledge that. But I wanted to put it into a context of the Chinese Zodiac. And as you and I chatted a little bit before the show, this was actually something my father followed every year. And he would always announce the Chinese New Year. We celebrated it to some extent, and we always paid attention to the Chinese Zodiac for whatever reason. I can't ask him now because he's gone. But this year has been so difficult. For so many people. But on the Chinese zodiac, it's the year of the metal rat. And the year of the rat is a year of renewal and new beginnings. So you're an extraordinarily resilient professional woman. And I would love to get some thoughts from you about acknowledgement of what's going on and how do we keep our sights up. I'm looking forward to making things better in a time of, you know, coming out of disruption and making things better.
1: Yes. No pressure, Caroline. (laughs) (laughs) No, but seriously, though, Karen, I do think it's super important to acknowledge the moment we're in. There is a lot of suffering going on. There are a lot of events happening that have tremendous historical context. And when I was thinking about this and I was thinking about our conversation today, I thought to myself, There are really three comments that I want to make here. One comment is that at the end of the day, we can only be responsible for ourselves, you know, and so I think it is an extremely good time to reflect on the decisions each of us are making in terms of how we support one another, how we treat one another, how we behave when we interact with one another. At the same time, some of us are in positions of leadership, and so we have. I think a different responsibility to speak up and express opinions that black lives matter and that there's a lot that needs to be acknowledged as the head of HR for the company that I work for. We have an all hands coming up this week and I will be talking with one of my black colleagues, black American colleagues. I'll be asking questions like, what is this like for you? And what would you like for us to know and to understand better? And where should we focus our attention? Who do you think we should listen to and look to? And what should we be reading? And how can we help? I think there's a lot to be said for asking people how we can help. And so I am not the person with the answers, but sometimes I'm grateful that I can be in the position of the person who asks some questions.
0: Another great great management leadership tip, right? We don't have to have all the answers. We just need to be able to ask great questions and be willing to do it. And I appreciate you sharing that. Cobalt is, I hope they're listening. This is, they are so fortunate to have you.
1: They're so awesome. I could not be prouder to be a part of this company. I have grown with it from the 10th employee to now we have a team of more than 100. And it's just been, it's been super fun. And it's been so nice to work with a team that I like and respect so much. And that I find to be so aligned with my values. It's a gift. And it's not easy to find. But I think it's worth seeking.
0: It's truly a gift. And I appreciate Cobalt for having you be able to be on the show and also for you to be here speaking so freely and sharing with us. I do hope we'll get a chance to do this again because there's just not enough time (laughs) to do this in in one episode. But uh, Caroline, thank you so much. Once again, you made my week. It's a joy to talk with you. And I look forward to visiting with you again very soon. Me too. Thank you so much, Karen. That's it for today's show. Mojo Maker for Women in Tech podcast is part of the ecosystem of knowledge sharing and affordable group coaching to help reverse the trend of women leaving tech and to help diverse women in male-dominated industries get the visibility, opportunities, and compensation they deserve. Be sure to check out our five-day challenge by visiting us online at createyourleadingedge.com. Like what you hear? Subscribe, share, or leave a review wherever you listen to the show. We'll be back again next week. Be well, stay strong, and remember, be an ally.